All right, welcome to the Friday show. It is September 24th of 2020, and it's officially the first day of fall, at least in Florida. I walked out this morning expecting heat and was so flipping happy. I was like, oh my God, it's perfect. So as cliche as it is, how is your weather up there? It is also fall weather up here. It was freezing this morning. And then I went to go eat my lunch and I was expecting to sit on the deck and enjoy like not 90 degree weather, but you know, you expect at least seventies. Nope. It was like 57 and I could not sit out there. Yeah. And I was life, upset. Life must be hard. So, you know, <laughs> yep. It was, it was sad. It was sad, but also good. Cause I'm tired of 90 degree weather and I'm ready for fall weather. So, you know, happy, but sad. I might be weird, but sometimes you walk out and you just, you smell the air and you're like, that's fall air. That's different. That is different air. And it just, it kind of gets you happy. Cause you're like, oh, that's a big old change. That might be a Florida thing. I'm not sure. No, it's definitely, definitely something in the air. You know, the leaves changing. It's kind of exciting. Um, different feel, you know, different weather. Then, then you really start wanting like apple cider, maybe a pumpkin roll, some fall cookies. I don't know. Curl up in a blanket and watch a nice Harry Potter movie. Apple cider moonshine sounds good right now. Oh, that would be incredible. <laughs> a deep dive. All right, let's, speaking of deep dives, let's dive right in. We get, I have a hot one right off the bat. So I saw this and this caught my eye and this treads the political line. So we're gonna, we're gonna avoid it the best we can. But Google recently released a report that they found more um, incidences of police forces using geofencing to issue warrants to like uh, witnesses at potential crime scenes more over this past year than ever before. And the trend was going up over the past few years, but this was like a big jump. So first, do you know what geofencing is? That's what I was going to ask you. Can you please elaborate? Yep. And super kind of like basic layman's terms, geofencing is like you're standing in a spot and you tell the thing to, okay, send this to everyone within X mile radius, like two mile radius. So this is pretty big in like marketing or conventions. It's, it's used a lot on marketing firms where you'd go to a, like a gathering convention, I guess is probably the best, where you know there's gonna be a whole lot of potential prospects for your company. And you'd set up a geofence, like a filter on Snapchat, something like that, where if you were, if you were standing within the geofence, like the big circular area that is painted out, you will receive that data, it will be sent to you. It's like a really big selective airdrop kind of. So I guess the police forces have been using this, they're able to basically do like the timestamp of between, I don't know, like 6 p.m. and 9 p.m. was when this crime occurred. So every phone that was in that area during that time will receive a warrant. That is a good and a bad thing. All I could think of is like, this is the cost of connectivity, but also if it helps us solve crimes and get bad guys, I don't know. That we're, we're walking a fine line here. So it's, uh, it's kind of like when Apple hits everyone with an Amber Alert, your phone starts going crazy and you have a little heart attack. Exactly, yeah. I, I don't know how different it is, but it, yeah, they'd set up the geofence and they'd say, okay, any device that was in this area between these times is going to receive this document, bang. Okay. And that would be So sad. it makes you a person of interest. Yep, yep. So, it, you know, I guess it's going to stop like if, if something happens and someone drives by, sees it and just continues on their day and says, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to be there. They're probably going to get some. So you can't really run away from it now, which is I, I've avoided jury duty for this long and I would like to continue to avoid it. I just don't want to do it. But um, it's probably going to be changing soon, I guess. <laughs> you know, see, I'm not even going to touch on that subject because if I do say something about it, I'll get a letter in the mail tomorrow. Yeah. And I will be sad. Oh, shoot. My Apple device has heard me. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. Dang. <laughs> 
but no, it's interesting. I mean, hey, it's, I guess it's good if it helps us put to rest more crimes and, and drive more results. So good and bad. That's what I was saying. Is I, I saw it. You know, my first reaction is always, you know, the libertarian to me is like, "Gosh darn it, why is blah blah blah," and grumbling and all that stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is probably actually a good thing for the greater good. I I don't know. So that's where I stand on it. Yeah, my luck, I would be at like a restaurant and then the restaurant next door, something would happen in and then all of a sudden I'm getting a warrant to show up somewhere. And I'm like, I'm <laughs> and you're just, like, what is this? <laughs> what did I do? Like, I was just enjoying my dinner. <laughs> yeah, that would be a pain. All right, we'll move on. And it's going to touch on something that you, uh, you touched on earlier this week. Uh, so the new iPhone release, it's the iOS, I don't, I don't know, 7 million, whatever we're on now. I think you said it was 15 maybe. but 15, yep. yep. Yep, whatever it is, as many as they have. Uh, apparently, the new release can detect depression, something or other. Is that that's like Apple's new thing? And so, uh, this is another big step for the mental health industry, which is I, I, something the big companies are definitely t- trying to take advantage of and implement as much as they can, especially in the tech world. I'm totally all for it. I think as everything gets easier and we have to find new ways to create value for others, it's an industry that's only going to grow. And I'm sure Apple's going to nail it. They have access to more data than literally anyone else on the planet besides maybe Google and maybe Amazon. I guess Disney's yeah. probably up there too, but they, they know everything about you times 12. So they're probably actually going to be able to come up with some cool solutions for you. I agree. And I love it because depression is such a big thing. I don't even know how else to describe it. It's a thing in our society. It's a looming problem. Deal with. Yeah. And some people, you know, they don't even isolate that they are depressed until it's too late. Um, and, and I can already immediately start thinking of different ways that the iPhone is going to be able to track if you are depressed. Now, they got to work out the bugs. So I'm not just sitting here and I get a ping <laughs> that says, you are depressed. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> but, I'm not sure how it works. Did they? I, I don't know if they like send you recommendations for uh, websites, books, professionals in your area, something like that. My, uh, my, my funny thought immediately right off the bat was how long until you can actually have a full-on relationship with Siri? <laughs> oh Jesus! Didn't they make a movie on that? Uh, some guy like started dating his AI. Oh, um, no. I forget what it was. Uh, Joaquin Phoenix was the uh, the main character, and he was the actor. Well, if you think of it, we'll have to tag it in the show notes because I would fully believe that that is that that's pretty dystopian. I don't even want to think about that. Oh, oh yeah, and that's right up Joaquin Phoenix's alley. I mean, that's all. True. I'll find it after the show. I can't remember. It, it was like a one word title. It was like U or C or I, it was something like that. It was something weird like that. Oh, geez, that could um, be anything. Yeah, (laughs) but just the iPhone's ability, like I can definitely see how it could track depression because it can track daily routines. Maybe maybe you're sleeping in a little bit longer. Maybe you're not as active. Maybe you're doing the same exact thing every single day. Yep, and if you're Apple, if you're wearing one of those Apple watches, they say they can track it just by the way your body reacts. I mean, maybe your heart's beating, would be slower, lower blood pressure or higher blood pressure, I guess would be the case there. But I don't know. There's a bunch of different physical ailments that are linked with depression that I'm sure Apple can track, whether it's through the Apple watch or just your daily routines. Yeah, I agree. I don't know. Let's push the mental health industry forward because we're in a really good spot for that. I think it's, yeah, that's all I have to say about it really. Ready to move on? Especially coming out of COVID. I mean, oh yeah. Oh yeah. That's probably a good thing to touch on too. (laughs) We still got to fix all that. (laughs) Yeah, definitely a good time to get people mental help. Man, we got all those poor kids coming out of school and they know nothing except masks and social distancing. And you're like, oh no. Oh, I couldn't imagine learning how to do division from home. Oh, (laughs) learn nothing. I was talking to someone (laughs) as a younger kid in my industry. uh, This, I had lunch with him this week 
And he was like, yeah, my last semester, last two semesters of college were all online. And I was like, oh my God, how was it? And he was like, it's horrible. It made, I just wanted to leave immediately. <laughs> I was like, I wanted to be out. And I said, yeah, dude, I don't blame you. <laughs> it just yeah. sounds miserable. I soak nothing in when I'm learning online. And that's what I'm in grad school right now. And my, uh, the college I attend, the university is giving us an option to either go down to in-person class or do it on our laptop. And I always take the option to go to class even though it involves me having to drive into the city after work, just because if I sit in my bedroom on the lecture, I will take no notes. I will play Xbox or watch TV and I will gain nothing from it. Right. And I would argue that we've totally, we totally dropped the ball on this because I'm not saying that everything in person is better. I actually, I actually think that some people don't learn better that way, but the way we handled it, I think is super poorly done. Like it was basically just, let's try to replicate the in-person learning online. Why don't we do self-directed learning? Studies have shown that you can literally teach like the first three grades in six months to kids. Like I, I can't imagine college is any different. I, after going through a four-year university, I looked at it and I said, I could have learned everything here in two years. I could have accelerated this, but it's just, it's very drawn out and there's, you know, a lot of money involved and all that stuff, but self-directed learning, I am so confident is absolutely the future and it's the way to go. Yeah, I agree. The class I'm in right now is actually kind of that format format because the university I attend got better. I attended got better at their at home learning. Mm -hmm. um, and this class is all online. It's the only all online class I've had so far in grad school. But it's basically I have to complete two modules a week and turn in all the assignments, but I can do it on my own time between Sunday and Sunday. I don't have to log into any Zoom and listen to any professor talk to me. I just watch the PowerPoints, do my reading, answer the questions or the case studies. And, and I actually learn better this way than sitting on a Zoom. So it's it's interesting. I like that. Yeah, and it's my boy Naval Ravikant says that all the time is that we work in bursts of inspiration. We you, you're not going to be inspired all the time, and you're not going to be dead all the time. You just you you should work whenever you get that burst, and then take the other time to rest, recover, and enjoy yourself. Yep. Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings are by grad school hours for this semester. Sunday morning. That's when I get it done. Oh my god, that's the least productive time of my life. <laughs> I don't do anything. Oh, I don't Sunday go out mornings. on Saturday nights very, very often. Wow. So that allows me to be productive there. That's fair. I don't either. I just there's something about a Sunday morning. Like, oh my God, that's that's the one time where you just wake up stretch and you're like, I'm doing nothing. <laughs> that's how crazy great. I am. I found I find coding to be relaxing. So I, I sit there and I write my code or I, I learn my theory and in information security on Sunday mornings. Yeah, I'm a psychopath, but you are a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, it takes a special breed, but it, it definitely that's does. Neither here nor there. All right, yeah, we were we were originally on Apple whenever we did this, so we're gonna move on to the next one of the bigs that had some news come out. Amazon, Amazon did a really funny thing. They have uh, they've begun working on physical department stores, and I think this is the funniest shit I've ever heard, because they are literally a company that was pioneered on we want to kill the department store. We want you to never go to a department store ever again. We want you to get everything online because it's easier. We've come full circle. Nature is healing. <laughs> it's ridiculous. It just makes me think that Bezos never intended to be a fully online uh, platform to begin with. His whole intention was to destroy every mall in America just to build his own malls. That is exactly right. It was the master plan. He said, I'm going to kill the retail sector. And then guess what? I'll be the only retail left. <laughs> and then he'll build up his own stores. He killed Toys R Us. He killed Sears. He killed all these right. titans of industries, and now he's just going to build his own toy store. It'll be Amazon Toys, Amazon Clothes, Amazon Appliances, yep. everywhere. I, I think they just have so much stuff in their warehouses, and they're like, well, why don't we just 
make a physical place where people can come pick it up if it's convenient. But speaking of their warehouses, they just built another one. I forget where it is in the world, which is bad reporting on my part, but it is enormous. It's like five football fields size and it's five stories or 17 football fields. I don't know. It's some ridiculous, massive number. And the majority of it is fully automated and robotic. And so everyone's big complaint is like, well, the robots are going to take all the jobs, right? And so Bezos being the evil mastermind that he is came out and said, no, actually you're wrong. We've created over more than 360,000 jobs since we started implementing the robotic solutions. And why is that? It's because you still need people to put the stuff on the robots and to move it to where it needs to go. So I, I don't really, I don't really understand. I can't justify it either way, but apparently it's a really good thing all around. And I'm all for the whole automated warehouse thing. It makes everything so much easier. So Amazon's just an absolute Hydra, like it's crazy. They're everywhere. It is in California, right on the Mexican border. Oh, good call. There you go. Well, yeah, that makes sense. It, does it say how big it is? Uh, I already exited out of the link. That's all. Right. Um, but it is the biggest. You were right. It just said it is the largest warehouse they've built, and I'm surprised they're doing it in California with all the regulations and uh, restrictions. Oh, there's a whole lot of demand out there. Everyone, everyone in California likes stuff. Yeah, you know, I guess I can't speak for everyone in California, but so I got to do the real estate plug here because this is always interesting to me. Amazon's a pain to deal with in the real estate world. No one wants to do it because they walk from deals all the time. They get you all the way to the, like, they get you to the altar and you're just about to get married. And then they're like, sorry, we found a different spot. So I'm, so what, I mean, they find these developers and they convince the developers to build these massive facilities. And when they do, then they say, okay, now we're announcing we're moving in. That's a huge risk this developer took to basically put up this ginormous warehouse and then at the very last second they were like, okay, we actually will move in. Can you, can you imagine how mad you'd be if they called you and they're like, yeah, we're sorry. <laughs> like I'd be, I'd be living. <laughs> I, I can't believe these companies don't make them sign a contract like so that they can't back out. They have all I the mean, power. That is, I guess they do have all the power. At the end of the day, they don't, they don't need you. You need, you need their work. Yeah, but, speculative uh, building is the new thing. And then they just, they tease you along the way. Makes me think of like the Olympic villages that they built in, uh, in J was it in Japan this past year? Pretty sure that was um, the most recent. Yeah, and they uh, they built it all and then they were like, COVID, sorry. Oh. <laughs> and then no one got to go because they couldn't have fans this year either. So you just had like a bunch of living quarters and, and stands and stadiums and concession stands and no one to use them. Well, and now they're going to be empty forever because they're over. They will be until people, well, I mean, that means Japanese real estate is going to get really cheap or they're going to have to demolish it. That's a great segue into the next one though. Are you ready or do you want to stay on this for a minute? Uh, I'm ready. Okay. Awesome. We're going to do the Evergrande thing. We talked about Evergrande a little bit last show on Tuesday and there's more stuff that came out about it all throughout the week. It's been like the talk of the town and the Chinese government was basically like, hey, uh, buckle your seats, boys and girls. We're not going to bail them out is essentially what they said. They're like, just just prepare. We're going to let them fail. So yep, I've always been a good gambler. I knew it. Yeah. Like that was placed uh, correctly. Well, we don't know yet. I mean, obviously, this is getting recorded Thursday night, released Friday morning. So something could come out in that time, but time change. But as of today, as of this is the fresh that's been, they just made a massive interest payment. It's like 300 million or something like that. But it doesn't even compare, it doesn't even begin to put a dent in what they owe. And so they have a bunch more massive interest payments to be announced this past, these couple next coming days. And no one really has any confidence they're going to be able to pay it. Yeah, I, I don't think they'll be able to pay it. I mean, where are they going to get that money from unless 
all of a sudden the government or is there even a private investor that could help bail them out? Like, could they go to that? The who who's the Jack the Maul. guy we talked about? Yeah, Jack Maul. Like, could they go to him and like be like, hey, you want to give us a little money? Jack Maul <laughs> is totally under the thumb of the Chinese government at this point. Oh man, so he can't help. Yeah, I, that's that's a story for a different time. But so I, that got me thinking. I was like, how do they get in this hole? How did a company that big get into this hole? And I was like, all right, well, what do they do? They're residential real estate developers, ironically enough. And so what they did is they poured all this money and took on all this massive amounts of debt to just build all these giant apartment complexes and no one moved in. There just wasn't anyone to take them. And so what's happening now is that there was a horrible video I just watched where I literally watched like, like three or four giant apartment complexes just get bulldozed and demolished over in China because they're like, we, we can't fill these. They're just going to sit empty. What do we do? They literally have too much housing over there. So the... <laughs> The Chinese government actually had a really, I, I don't even know how to say this. They had, a, they had an inspiring, nice quote. Um, here it is. They said, uh, this is the official press release. They said, houses are for living in, not speculation. This is the first time I think I'm, and maybe the last time I'm probably ever going to agree with a communist government, but that, that was well said. Uh, props to you, sir. That's fair. Houses are for living in. They're, yeah, they're not for speculation. So yeah. where this leads me, and then, then we'll have killed this, but where this leads me is that this is happening in America right now, not on the same scale. But I, I mean, I get to talk to developers all the time, and people like the big companies, like I don't want to name names of companies. So either way, think of the really big home development companies that you'd see in the United States. They are trying to buy any single piece of land they can to build speculative homes on just because they are so confident people will fill them because people are buying tons of homes right now. Now, some of those are second homes. They're not all first time homes. I don't really know what to think of this. I don't have the numbers to back it up, but I, I do think it is a little worrying at that point. On the other hand, there's plenty of other things going on and maybe we'll have too much housing, which could be a good thing. Then we can, you know, homeless populations go down or, but there's, that's a deep topic and it's too much to get into for this. Yeah. And, I don't even think so much about the housing industry. I think about all the office space that's going to end up being unused or could end up being unused. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. No, it's that's already happening. Even, it's a lot yeah. of vacancy. Yeah. Um, even more places where people aren't going to move in and uh, maybe we'll just end up bulldozing offices over here in America. Well, it's expensive. Well, I mean, but then we could repurpose it to other things. And I think there are higher and better uses for the, that kind of property at this point, but that's enough for that. Ready to move on? Yep, we can move on. All right, so I forgot to mention at the beginning, we have two company highlights today. We'll do the first one because I think this is somewhat relevant to the topics we just covered. It's a company called Capital Markets Gateway LLC. And it's super simple. I just, I thought it was really cool, fun solution. They, uh, they work with investment banks and underwriters, auditors, and investors. And what they do is they, they try to make the investment bank IPO rate. All right, let me start that over. They work with companies that try to take other companies public. So when a company goes through an IPO, they have to raise a ton of capital through private investors. And those investors basically get to bid on shares because the shares have not been publicly priced. They have to kind of invent and underwrite a price and then justify it somehow and then make a bid. And these deals are super organic and they're, they're not very, they're not crazy structured. So the story that I was reading was all the guys in the investment banks are like, yeah, we literally used to do this on the back of napkins. And then we would just pray and hope the next morning we would get like an email that said, oh, hey, here's how many shares you got. And here's the price we gave them to you. Like they didn't know. So what this company does is basically streamlines the whole process. 
makes it really easy. I think they're gonna, I think they're gonna absolutely kill it, and uh, I can't believe this has been such a <laughs> messy process until now. <laughs> I was gonna say I never had any idea that it was so so organic, like like you said, not structured, back right of the on the back of a napkin. Mm-hmm. Well, wow, yeah. So this is where I always say is like, don't reinvent the wheel, just make a small improvement to an already painful system and your life will get better and you'll probably be rich and famous. So boom. Yeah. Hey, sometimes the small things go the longest way. Um, football coach I always had uh, growing up in high school said, you do the, the small things right first and the big things will follow. So, you know, little tweaks, small details can lead to big changes. I like that. Is that your quote of the day? Uh, not my quote of the day, but uh, definitely a good one to live by. Get a little, little, little twofer, a little twofer. <laughs> yeah, two for one because I didn't do one on uh, on Tuesday. So I love it. All right, you're up for the next one. Yep. Uh, next one is we've seen professional athletes getting involved in NFTs recently. Um, a couple that come to mind right away. Uh, if anyone follows Odell Beckham Jr., the wide receiver for the Cleveland Browns on Instagram. He recently changed his profile picture to one of the crypto punks that we discussed on this show before. Um, for any new listeners or anyone that might have missed that episode, crypto punks are little JPEGs of pixelated uh, people, essentially. Yep. And uh, you can buy them and then you own them and uh, you can kind of use them to however you want. You can create a comic book around them, create uh, a web series around them. Um, you can write a book around him if you want because you own that character. Um, so that is what he changed his profile picture to. Now, whether or not he actually owns that NFT or he just screenshotted the JPEG or just made one himself, we don't know. But uh, that leads us into something else that neat that Twitter is doing. And they're creating a way, I don't know if it's a software or a process, to verify that if someone posts an NFT, that they are the actual owner of it. So you can't just screenshot an NFT and post it and then say, yeah, I've, I just got this NFT, it's mine. Um, they're gonna find that they're creating a, a way, uh, we should know more about it, but- uh, I do, let me jump in real oh. quick. Yep, yeah, so yeah, what they do, you have, to, you have to basically verify it through your wallet. So crypto wallets are a little confusing, it's a deep topic, but essentially it's like a pouch that you're storing all your stuff in and it's digital and you'd connect that to Twitter. Twitter would verify the piece of code within your wallet and then say, okay, Boom, big old check mark. This is actually the original one. So it increases the scarcity and authenticity of it. Of course, yep. it's all still ridiculous, but I, I think it proves the case for it a little more. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of leads into the next thing Twitter's doing also. Uh, they're allowing people to tip creators and influencers and other people like that in Bitcoin or through the use of a lightning-enabled wallet through, twi- through Twitter. And uh, for anyone out there that might not know what a lightning-enabled wallet is, because (laughs) we didn't either, really, Um, after some research. So the a lightning-enabled wallet, or they're also called lightning network wallets, um, are just normal Bitcoin wallets with the capability to open a lightning network payment channel on the first layer of the Bitcoin network. Um, So they're not very user-friendly, per se, right now. Um, probably because the Lightning Network is still in its early stages. And many of these wallets are still in public testing stages. So I would not recommend depositing too much funds into them at the moment. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because they are still in testing. Um, but that is essentially what they are in a nutshell. So it, so what it seems to boil down to is it's a, it's a server or a, a, a type of secure payment channel where you can transfer Bitcoin. Yep. My, yeah, my big advice is always, it's still a speculative industry, I'd be careful. And 
the NFT topic and the crypto topics are always so interesting to me. And I know anyone over the age of 30 is rolling their eyes right now and they're like, blah, 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 Bitcoin this, whatever. So here's my case for it just out the bat. All right. I want you to go look up projects like, I'll, I'll tag them, like the Board Ape Yacht Club, uh, the CryptoPunks, and the Visitors is the other one I really like. And it's stuff like that where it's a way for people to identify with stuff and people are willing to pay for things they identify because whenever they mint that specific NFT, it is theirs forever, it is unique to them, and it looks unique. So, I mean, the rich guys like Odell Beckham Jr. and you know Tiger Woods and Tom Brady do theirs too, they can basically spend enough until they get one that kind of looks like a cartoon version of them. And then they're like, oh, this is me, and then just sell the rest. The rest of us may not be that lucky. We probably only afford one or two at a time, and then you buy one, and if it doesn't look like you, you don't want it anymore. But it's a way for people to identify, especially in the new age of the internet in which everyone has an online personality. So that's my big case for why I think it is still going to continue to grow and be a much bigger industry than everyone makes it out to be. Yes, it's a picture, but that's not the point. It's scarcity and identification. Yep. And talking about Tiger Woods, because I heard you bring him up, mm -hmm. he's actually getting involved with NFTs as well. He is releasing 10,000 digital images of himself uh, that will be available for purchase and sold exclusively on DraftKings Marketplace. Oh, yeah. And the company that's putting these out is called Autograph, and it's actually co-founded by Tom Brady, believe it or not. I so do. once again, Tom Brady's winning by being at the forefront of a new trend. Uh, just another area of his life that he is winning in. And the first batch of these digital pictures is actually already for sale and have a price that ranges from $12 to $100. And there is also a $100 option for 375 limited editions. And those digital cards of Woods's signature have a price tag starting at $250 with the highest one going to $1,500. So those ones are just like a digital NFT that has his autograph on it. I'm gonna call it right now because it's the DeFi space. I'm gonna buy like five this weekend. I guarantee those sell for more. On the first round, they're definitely gonna sell for more than whatever you get them for. Like, there's no way. Twelve dollars? I'll buy. I'll buy. I'll buy six of them, and you know, pay seventy-two bucks, whatever. Move on from there, and then sell them all for a hundred dollars each. Like, because it's Tiger Woods. So this is yeah. This is the reason I'm so bullish on this is because it's like it's scarcity, and everyone's gonna look at that and be like, oh, I have to have that one. And guess what? It's gonna go up again. If you're on the first round, you always win. It's like a damn pyramid scheme. Yep. And it's on a, a user-friendly marketplace that maybe more people are familiar with. Oh, DraftKings, yeah. Yeah, I've never been on DraftKings Marketplace. I've only ever used their sports book. But I do know their, their sports book is a huge, uh, I don't know, it's, it's a huge application. Thousands of people sports bet on it. So it just makes it more reliable and people more enticed to log on to their maybe marketplace. And it probably makes it a lot more easier for them to comprehend loading money into it and uh, actually purchasing something, so. I totally agree. I think it's too steep, it's still too steep of a learning curve for someone to figure out how to get a wallet set up, how to transfer on like a marketplace and get yourself into Ethereum, which transfers to pretty much everything. That's like the golden currency of the crypto world, but that's too many steps and most people don't wanna learn it. It's exhausting and it is so hard to rewire your brain to figure it out. DraftKings is really smart to do this. I think Robinhood is doing a nice thing too because they're releasing um, their own version of a digital wallet. And they're, they're a very simple system in everything they do. They make money on being simple. I didn't know this, but you could buy crypto on Robinhood, but you didn't actually own it. You, they held it. Like they went out and bought it and held it in their own wallet. So I, I don't really know how the contract works, but I guess technically they could just steal all of it whenever they wanted. 
not that they would, I'm not saying they would, but that is interesting. I, I didn't know that you didn't actually own it when you bought it through their system, but now they're offering digital wallets to people. That's the next step. Mm -hmm. Yep, getting people set up on digital wallets is definitely the next step. But uh, before you do that, you got to educate the public about these digital wallets because it is still a confusing space. And then uh, just expanding on Tiger Woods too, I did just read a second collection is already set to release next Tuesday. Oh, good for and you. other athletes you can already purchase through DraftKings Marketplace include Tom Brady, Wayne Gretzky, Simone Biles, Derek Jeter, Tony Hawk, and Naomi Osaka. So some other big names as well. Oh my God. Yeah, that's, ah, that's so, they're going to make so much damn money. All right, we've killed this one. Yep. Okay, we'll move on. We have a second company highlight here. Uh, the company's called Network, uh, but it's N-T-W-R-K because if there's anything we've learned in the last 10 years, if you just take the vowels out of any normal word, it becomes an app. Uh, vowels are inefficient. Vowels apparently are inefficient. I, <laughs> it kind of bugs me when companies do this, but I guess it's, it's hot and trendy. So they have a very, very interesting business model. They, do, they sell products through live stream shopping. So they allow you, if you're selling your product, to schedule and hop on a live stream advertise it and like actively sit there and sell your product on that live stream like you would over instagram but it's a platform dedicated to it and a couple things come to mind so i think the first off on the positive side this is really good for influencers or just naturally gifted salespeople who are like they don't know what to do with their lives and they're like well i can sell my product on here like this is a great outlet for them and you know if you actually are a good salesperson you'll probably do great and you'll probably get discovered through there another fun one I know you know who Scott Rogowski is. It's the guy who used to do uh, used to host, eight, uh, host HQ Trivia. He's one of the big names on there too. So they've been really this company's been really smart about poaching uh, fantastic announcers. I guess is the word hosts, whatever. But just people like that, people like that who are just so much fun to watch and listen to. That's exactly who you want on this platform. And if you're one of those people, you might get famous off it. They also do NFT sales, so I think that is really smart to be dipping your toe in that space too. And isn't it funny how we're now mixing like the physical sales world with the online digital, you cannot touch this product world. It's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And then once again, um, I see you had it marked down here, but we're just making a little tweak to something that has already existed in the past. It immediately made me think of QBC and Lori Grenier mm -hmm. in the way that it wasn't necessarily a live streaming platform, but you would flip to that channel and then you would just have a lady standing there auctioning off jewelry yep. or selling, uh, I don't know, QBC still around. Lori Grenier sold millions of those sponge daddies on there. That was on like one of the first seasons of Shark Tank. Yep. And uh, it, that's still like the most successful product in Shark Tank history to this day. I think that's actually a fact. Sponge Daddy is the most successful product in Shark Tank history. All right, you heard it here. That was that's Joey's fun fact of the day. <laughs> that is a fact. A little sponge with a smile on it. If the salespeople can sell anything, it doesn't matter what it is. Yep, but yeah, it's it's just a made a little tweak. Cable's dying. People are moving more towards streaming. So here's a streaming platform with big personalities selling stuff. Yep. Here's my last thought is we're moving away from the sales age. And I've had this argument with a lot of people that are a lot older than me. And they say, no, no, sales is going to be part of everything. And I said, well, yes, it is. But sales is changing. It's different. So people don't actively want to be sold. They want to go find, they want to buy, they want to go find something. So I think about like Instagram is the best platform for this example is I hate being sold on Instagram. They do it. They win sometimes. I, I occasionally click that link, you know, maybe after a glass of whiskey or two and I occasionally purchase that book or those speakers or whatever it is, but not usually, and I hate myself for doing it. So 
when I see someone selling something on Instagram, I'm like, dude, get off my feed. I wanna see cars, I wanna see funny jokes. I, I come here for a reason and you're not the reason. This platform, when you come to this platform, you know exactly what you're getting. This is the future of it. You need to host a spot where people can come make their case. And when people go there, they say, all right, I'm here to buy, I'm here to be sold. Love it. It's a great, great way to do things, I think. Yeah, it eliminates the negative responses you get from people when you're trying to cold call because these people are there to be sold. They want to be sold. Nothing is worse than when you get a call from a salesperson and you're having a terrible day and you don't want to be sold at that moment. And then that's what leads to negative interactions. So Right. I get five of those a day and I pick up, hello, is this John Cole? And I just hang up. I'm like, nah, no, nah, I don't want your insurance. But point being, it, it, it's good for the buy side and it's good for the sell side because it, it makes things more efficient. It saves everyone time across the board, everyone. And save, time is all we have. So you know what? That's my deep thought for the day. Saves everyone time. We're all good. Life is better. All right. Yep, time is the most valuable resource. Damn true. All right, ready to move on? We're gonna hit commodities and then we're gonna wrap up. Yes, sir. All right, so this came out. This is a this is a report the Morning Brew did, which I know you and I both read and love. I adore the Morning Brew. You should go sign up immediately. Uh, just fantastic. Get it every morning. You'll learn a lot. And they're, they're reporting that Europe is apparently having a pretty bad gas shortage right now. And so prices are up 280% this whole year. So I think, you know, if you guys were like, you know, 250 bucks, I think now they're up at, uh, what, six, something like that. I don't know. That's a lot oh. of money. But so their gas prices are really high. And what this means is basically that they're going to see shortages and price effects all the way down the chain. I mean, Gas is used to burn pretty much everything at this point, even though we're switching to electric, but food and beer, even like all the way down to the most basic necessities are gonna increase in price. And I was wondering how that would affect us. I was thinking, well, what do we really get from there? I don't know if we get too much, I don't, but we're already having our own shortage issues. So I, to the more, the, I, I, this is a weird topic for me because the more pain points we add on, the more people are gonna be incentivized to fix this problem. We're gonna fix the supply chain issues and we're gonna be able to account for more demand. Logistics is going to get more efficient, but at the same time, you don't really want to see these things happen. So that's kind of, I'm, I'm kind of back and forth on it. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's, it's a shame when this stuff happens because, like you said, we will see prices go up as a result of this. Because think about everything that uses gas: the the a delivery lot. trucks, all the freight. Everything needs gas to run. So guess who's getting hit with that raise uh, whenever the gas prices go up? The company's not eating that. <laughs> You're getting hit with that. It's true. So, but on the other um, side. It, it creates new solutions because I know a bunch of companies are looking into, they're saying it's literally now less expensive for us to put money towards and develop self-driving electric cars like delivery trucks than it would be to pay for the gas and repairs in our actual trucks. That's a positive to come out of this. And we needed that pain point to get there. That's true. Like, like we always say, whenever you get burned, that's how you learn. It's true. So pain is a good thing. It's a necessary thing, but it, it sucks in the process. But I mean, there's no doubt in my mind by 2040, I know a couple carriers are already planning and maybe even 2030 to be fully electric in their ground networks. Um, eventually we'll end up expanding to other networks. I'm sure these other carriers, but we will see more and more electric vehicles on the road over the next 10 years delivering packages. Yep, I think life is gonna get really good by 2030. <laughs> really, really good. Hopefully we need, we need a little bit of roaring twenties after these past couple of years. Oh, that would be fun. All right. We'll hit the next one. This is just something interesting. I saw is palladium is that's the name of a, a metal that is used in a lot of cars. You know, obviously like aluminum and steel and all that, but palladium pricing is actually decreasing, which is 
not what you usually hear for these commodities. We don't, we don't hear that anything is getting cheaper these days, but it is getting cheaper because we're actually making fewer cars because we can't keep up with the microchip demand. So I saw this and I was like, wait a minute, I totally think we're gonna overcorrect for the microchips and in six months, we're gonna be making way more cars than ever before. <laughs> I think we're, we always overcorrect things. We can never get it right. So I was like, wait a minute, do we buy palladium futures now? <laughs> so that was, that was my little bet. This is not financial advice, but you know what? If you wanna speculate, that's where I would go. I like it. I just don't know if I have faith in our microchip production to catch up um, soon. Nah, soon. Taiwan's going to fix it. <laughs> I hope. I really hope so because we're still not even seeing PS5s and Xbox Series Xs on the shelves. Yeah, they got to fix uh, that. I want a new car. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no kidding. Even the Ford Broncos are taking forever to roll out. I'm not sure if it's a result of the microchip shortage, but I know a couple people that have been waiting on the Ford Bronco for a while now and Ford just keeps sending out little things like a hammock or a poster and it's like, we appreciate your pre-order. It'll be coming soon. Yep, yep. <laughs> Factories are all shut down and stuff, but okay. Yeah. That's what I got. If we're uh, ready to wrap up. Yeah, I, got, I just got a quote today. Uh, the one I promised, uh, it's from Theodore Roosevelt. I'm not sure if many people out there have heard of the man in the arena before, um, but it's, it's, a, it's a longer quote. Um, it goes like this. It is not the critic who counts, not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena, whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood, who strives valiantly, who errs, who comes short again and again because there is no effort without error and shortcoming, but who does actually strive to do the deeds, who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions, who spends himself in a worthy cause, who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly, so that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls who neither know victory nor defeat. And you wrote me a book there, didn't you? <laughs> oh, it's a great saying. I'm planning on hanging that in my office in my new house. That is a good one. You might need a whole wall for it, though. Yeah, it's a, it's a long <laughs> one, you know, but essentially it's, it's try even if you think you will fail because failing is better than never trying at all. Yeah, fairly relevant too. I love it. All right, well, you won this round. I have nothing else for that. <laughs> <laughs> one and one, uh, we're both one and one. Yep, fantastic. All right, have an excellent weekend and we'll be back Tuesday morning per usual. Yep, talk to you Tuesday.